Greetings and salutations, all you beautiful people, and welcome to another episode of Art of the Beholder, a show dedicated to all things eclectic in the world of art, where we do deep dives into deep cuts and help you understand why damn things matter. I'm your host, Novo Day, and today we're going to be talking about art and music, focusing on the legacy that is Steely Dan. To mm. hash it out, I am joined by guest, by one of our regulars, and, and the Steely-voiced man himself, Mr. Philip Church of philipchurch.tech. Welcome back, Philip. I'm Steely Phil today. And I <laughs> will Phil. and I will do your dirty work. <laughs> That's right. We're talking about Steely Dan, your dad's favorite band you've never heard to of. To bang your mom to. <laughs> or I uh, I maybe your hippie friend's dad that clearly was smoking before you got there. Also probably yeah. the ganja, <laughs> the pot. <laughs> The old that you can smell in the air. That's right. Uh, we're talking about, and if you have been a fan of our shows and or just seen the progeny of shows we put out, this was bound to happen, right? I was I was thinking about uh, when we were pitching. I, I think when you were pitching the show to me, I was like, "Oh my god, yes, we got to do Steely Dan." Like, yeah, it, it, I, it was I, it was prophesied <laughs> in the end of, waiting for this. the ancient they've, text. They've been in the background of my mind like my whole life, and to quote. Um, ridiculous caricature of uh i guess it was kim jong-il from <laughs> freaking uh <laughs> like team, team america, america. exactly World it's inevitable yeah. <laughs> it's inevitable uh, so you guys need to know why though why are we talking about steely dan that band you always get confused with like with fucking boston or chicago like chicago yes yeah <laughs> like so you're always you're always like messing up their Which actual singles exactly so uh we're talking about them today because they not only forged their own path as one of the greatest acts of the 70s uh Prolific. a bit of a yeah become like a bit of a timeless act i would argue yeah uh, a real musician's kind of music you know the the kind of music that is made for musicians but they also help push the importance in artistry that is music production and engineering into the mainstream infamously becoming one of the most renowned perfectionists in the game i like to describe them as the band that you didn't realize how much you like because everyone knows at least one of their songs i swear i mean maybe yes. nowadays that we're inching ever further into the future perhaps millennials and gen z's like granted i am a millennial and i love them but um there's sure we might be finding people who don't like them quite so much or maybe like have heard but so the, the amount even just the amount of like movies and tv shows and stuff that they've been oh in God. alone yeah but yeah how many people will will like refer to their albums and how many musicians love them and how many lists include them in their top 100s oh or whatever it's there exactly god they're so good yeah yeah it's it's um they have a legacy they have a legacy especially for us musicians yes. uh, of the world and though that level of integrity and ever upward set of standards helped catapult them to the incredible s success they have today i would argue and we'll talk about this in the discussion section that maybe sometimes it acted as a bit of a double-edged sword but before we get there, of course, we all need a little background. So Steely Dan is an American rock band that formed in 1971 in New York, New York. And though there's been a number of notable names that have been attached to the group, uh, the very all equally famous, ever revolving and ever evolving lineup throughout the years, the band is really at its heart a duo. A musical partnership between Walter Becker, who often played guitar, bass, and he uh, did a lot of work with backing vocals, and Donald Fagan, who often would play keys and would take Reigns as lead vocals. And as they say, it takes two to tango. <laughs> That's right. Uh, now, before we get to our sponsors and hash it out, I want to talk about a fun elephant in the room, and that is their namesake. So I... I tell me, uh, Mr. Church, if you were like this, I always thought the name was some sort of combination of their names or an amalgamation of something um, until I, I looked it up for the show. It is famously, it's a very famous dildo yes. from the Naked novel Lunch. Naked Lunch. I, I didn't know that. Did you know that already? I, I did know that before this show, but it wasn't something that was, it's, it's, not obvious at all. Um, mm -mm, yeah. And it was something that I, I think also when I found my appreciation for them, like about a decade or so ago, that yeah, I, yeah just throughout my own research and Googling, I, I found that article 
people talking about how like, yeah, they're literally named after like Steely Dan the Third from Yokohama, which is from that, <laughs> that album, which is like a steampunk dildo or like a steam. That's exactly dildo. right. Like a beatnik um, dildo. Because, yeah, naked lunch. And, you know, because fun fact, I mean, and, and speaking of musicians, which I guess it's not exactly a secret, but uh, I used to do like sets at bars. I used to do be in, a, in an acoustic duo just doing cover sets at oh, bars nice. for money. I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, just, you know, fresh out of college and hadn't quite kind of found my way in the world yet. And I just, I love the music. I didn't quite have a band. So, mm. you know, it's a great way to both have fun and do the music and make money. So yeah, sure. I, used to, I used to do Dirty Work from their mm. very first album, which again is is pretty much what got me into the researching of them. All those, shit, closer to 15 years, what am I talking about? Um, but all that time ago. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I learned that later on. Just but, like two years ago, right? Was... Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I didn't, uh, no one would have known that just hearing the name Steely Dan. Yeah, you'd think like, oh, that's like an inside joke. Maybe they're childhood Well, friends. I thought, I thought uh, Donald, Don, Dan. You know, that's how I went down the list in my okay. head yeah, you know yeah. i was okay. like oh donald goes by don maybe you know some sort of you know walter has an a in it i don't know I, how do we get yeah, to exactly. Steely Dan? i'm kind of like hey there's such buds again like you said there's such a duo that maybe that was some kind of inside joke when they formed that that's what they called themselves until they realized like oh wait what do we call ourselves and like well we just been saying no it's a dildo it's <laughs> it's and yeah it's, so for all you people wondering it's a dildo it's, it's fitting with how again i just i think they are baby making music I, well, I if love you study uh, a lot of this for the show, if you study their lyrics and the themes and the and the the cryptic nature it's of deceptive. them, it's oh my god, yes, yes, and we'll talk about that a little bit in the discussion sec discussion section. But I I feel like it's strangely fitting now for how yeah. like Fagan and and Becker um, yeah surface like, level their baby making music, but yeah, once you like really sit That's down, the and soft listen, rock side though, right? exactly. <laughs> Only it's not soft, baby. Oh no. <laughs> Now, before we can ash it out, of course, we need a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Liquid IV. Guys, if you don't know what Liquid IV is, we'll buckle up because I'm going to throw you a game changer. Liquid IV is a hydration multiplier that not only tastes great, but is a non-GMO electric light drink mix. Powered by cellular transport technology to deliver hydration to the body faster and more efficiently than water can just do alone. One stick contains three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks with five essential vitamins. Now, I pride myself on telling you about things that I either already like or just use in my everyday life. And I have to say, I've actually been a fan of Liquid IV for a long, long time now. I use it for everything from, you know, just long runs to stay in shape, all those late nights with those after hours or just when i'm feeling a little dehydrated i turn to it so it could just my god set me straight make me feel like a million bucks again and just get me ready for the day so please head on over to their website that's liquid-iv.com to check out their amazing line of products and get this when you use promo code art of the beholder all one word you'll get 20 percent off your order now if you need a little direction on where to start i recommend lemon lime guys you're gonna love it won't be disappointed so please give it a shot and get more fuel for life's adventures now back to the show so before we dive into their discography mr chech uh, i just wanted to just give the good people especially for the people that have no fucking idea of <laughs> i know they've it's always it's always one or the other either they've heard their heard the name but they can't think of a, a, a single to save their life or they think of a single and they can't realize that it's actually a steely dance song so we're going to talk about a little bit of their musicality sound and style and then we're going to dive into the discography so uh as you already eloquently put it mr touch uh they're deceptive there are uh, their music has always sounded uh, to me to i and i think probably to a lot of late years is, is simple but when you really uh, do those deep dives. It's actually quite uh, profound in their technical, compositional, and of course, famously, their production skill sets. So it's very complex once we get into there, uh, get into the the meat of the matter. They're often billed as jazz rock, and I would describe yeah. their music as uh, textured, measured, and meticulously crafted before i pass before i pass it back to you uh and tee you up i think it's important uh for the good people to know two names besides the duo that is steely dan and that is their music producer or the one that worked with them the most that's gary katz and their engineer that uh or their former engineer that worked with them the most and that's roger 
Nichols. Now, this is the guy that helped craft that Steely Dan sound, or probably both men, and he would win Grammy after Grammy for best engineering over and over again for um, their the incredible standards that they became famous for. Yeah, Steely Dan is one of those just about any situation could kind of you you could put their music on where if you want something fun for the background, yeah, it comes across as just soft rock with like jazz influence. Um, and even beyond that, I mean, it, it, it has all kinds of different traces of different things. Which oh I'll, yeah. I'll World touch music. on in a minute. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I wasn't going to say it, but if you're saying it, I'll say it. Yeah, um, go ahead. yeah. I mean, they have touches of like, Latin you know, you la- yeah, everything. Latin. And I swear they have like an aspect of like, they clearly were probably fans of Bowie in my opinion. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you want to throw them on in the background, if you think that's good for a movie scene, uh, cool beans, you know, do that. <laughs> but then if you have good headphones or good speakers and, you know, you do have time to listen to an older album, um, that you're like, yeah, you know what? I've always heard this one song and really liked it and I should do more Then you can sit down and be like, wow, this is incredibly rich. It's, it's clearly, yeah, it's clearly was thought out ahead of time. It wasn't just three people walked into the studio, three or four people, you know, did the old, we practiced this song a shit ton and are really good at it now, but this was more than like just that. Yeah. Um, it, it's, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's very layered. It's in, it, it's uh, just great stuff, top to bottom. And even, even how they all stand apart. They're, they're like the first six albums, which literally came out one year apart from one another ever since they oh, started. Yeah. So that, and that's the other thing. These guys were just, in, yeah, they were just inspired. And um, yeah, there's, they're, it's so worth helping to understand what distinguishes them from some of those other bands that we've already mentioned in the show today of your Chicago's and your et cetera, because once you take the time, you'll realize like these guys really do stand out from their contemporaries and for good reason. So let's dive in. So in 1972, we have their very first LP can't buy a thrill now i would say that uh i always <laughs> even though they're yeah build is jazz rock they are they're everything honestly they're world music they're latin music they're um they're percussive they're harmonic i, I mean they're, they're used to their vocal harmonies and all of these incredible things so to, to me it's it's fusion that's that's the the very late yeah, term absolutely. for it's jazz fusion rock you know, not just uh, jazz rock. I mean, uh, right, that's yeah, just right an easy way to put it. First album, first song, do it again, which the name again, it might not even. What an intro. It might not do oh much for you just hearing the name do it again. But once you realize the song that it is, it's like, okay, cool. Well, hey, if you've ever been a fan of Santana, for instance, which they might have been again, listening to this, like, boom, Absolutely. like right in with the world music and the other influences of like, guess what? These are two music nerds, like white dudes in America, but they're like, they're just jamming it and then once again this is that soundtrack song this is one of those big like moody rich like just sultry songs because of the little bits of extra musician uh music uh instruments sorry peppered in here and there um yeah they just oh, they the did, texture was you, incredible yeah, yeah they did not hold back they literally came out fucking swinging swinging for the fences and yeah do it again is a perfect opener for with a perfect intro and I, I it makes total sense why it became a single along with dirty work and reeling in the years and uh what's great about reeling in the years going back and yeah really putting some good cans on and really listening to it from a, a very analytical standpoint the guitar work on this fucking song <laughs> is a thing as a thing of legend like it is it is it's it's crazy to me that do you ever listen to music and you're like there's no way a real person made this, that kind of feeling like oh, that's how time. I felt yeah, it was like, this <laughs> going is through inhuman. a lot of these yeah. songs again. Yeah. But I will, you know, as, for as much as I liked the singles, I really want to give some spotlight as we do on our show to some of the things that are a little deeper, like fire in the hole. Oh my God. What, a, what a banger. The piano solo, the piano solo kills. And honestly, Brooklyn, I, I really have a special place in my heart for that track. And it's Brooklyn owes the charmer under me is the full title. Yeah. Fire in the hole has a little bit of that extra. I mean, it, you know, it almost says it in the title. Like it's, it's kind of spicy. Um, it's got, it, it just like, it's, it slaps a little bit more. Like it's got some more attitude to it. Um, it's yeah. It, it, 
which, you know, again, the, the big three off of this one alone, like I said, some of their most recognized singles being from their first album with what they went on to do and all the other songs of theirs that did get recognized, especially, you know, when you talk about the the album Asia, like six years oh, later. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Again, you just, all these seeds are planted here. And the fact that too, again, you're talking about dudes who are also multi-instrumentalists to an extent. Um, it's not like everybody plays a little bit of every instrument, but at the same time, you can tell that these guys know what the song needs and that just because they only do keys and vocals and guitar or vocals and saxophone, there's way more to this album than that. Exactly. And I, I uh, to your note, I actually, that, that's, that's something I w- wanted to talk about in our show here today. And you... You made a point that made me think about it immediately is they're not only multi-instrumentalists, it's it's what ha- this band is what happens when clearly classically trained musicians play rock music because their use of theory and their innovations. That's part of the reason I think it's they're such a musicians kind of band like, you know music made for musicians kind of like a frank zappa yeah uh, type of sound is is their uh use of music theory like we've never seen before and and we'll talk about this a little later them even creating things like the what they've called the moo moo chord and things like that or slash chords um and i before we before we move on i do want to talk about how uh as much as donald fagan was normally the the main primary vocalist for steely dan when you when you hear most of their Sing- singles that's Donald Fing and singing. They would have a lot of other singers, not dirty work. guests. Right. <laughs> right. There's David Palmer. Um, um, and obviously a lot of the female backup singers that would add to the Yeah, harmonies. I love that. And yeah, I that's and that's why and like Michael it, McDonald. <laughs> and Michael McDonald, yeah. And that's why I was kind of joking. Starting about, in like, like 75 or something, but still. Right. It's it's kind of everything music. It's world music. It's it's like yeah. it touches on everything because they would have so many lines. You know, they would have bass lines and drum lines, guitar lines, piano lines, horn sections, harmonies. Like it was just it was it was they're like classical composers so that made rock it, music. Yeah, it's so rich. And it's not people who thought oh, you know what would be cool here? It's that people who understood this needs this here and this is how to do it, where right. you know you can just tell when people are being overzealous, this is not that. Um, <laughs> not at all. Which, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's even other weird things that they went, again, not on this first album of Can't Buy a Thrill, but when they went on to do other times too, where they would take the horn section stuff and throw the a matching synth over it. So they would redo the melody oh, yeah. on that a was synth. A production to text, yeah, again, just to yeah. texture it, where it's like, it was originally written for, whether you're, you're talking about saxophone, trumpet, trombone, whichever Asia horn did this a lot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it came along yeah. later because you started to get to the actual later 70s leading into the 80s where synths became huge through disco then leading into 80s stuff. But um, even, yeah, just just knowing that the horns and stuff had been there from the from the start and that even they had to go, cool, what can we do with this now <laughs> that we've been crushing it for six fucking albums? That's right. Yeah. But before we get there, of course, we got to get to Countdown, Countdown to, Ecstasy, to Ecstasy, 1973. Now, before we talk about this one, I want to, uh, we didn't talk about this in the pre-show, so we'll talk about it now. What I want to save favorite album for the end. So if you're okay. if we get to your favorite album, just hold it. You know, talk about the album, and then we'll 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 gush about Fair our enough. favorite albums at the end. So uh, countdown to XC 1973 starts more with like a bal- balanced jazz rock sound, and then really pushes them to the jazz. Yeah, I almost, am not quite swing. Yeah, uh, no, I, I would like, say more traditional j- jazz rock kind of like yeah. Brew. I just feel like something about like the drumming that the, there's a touch of the drumming that reminds me a little bit of like big band swing stuff because it comes in with that energy again. Like I love that they've so far the two albums have come out swinging. You know, like Do It Again is awesome, but that one's a bit more chill. Again, like Do It Again is very like vibes, like hanging oh, out yeah. with buddies in a dark lounge. <laughs> this one's like Smoking get your feet, yeah, get your feet on the floor, like get out there to get your lady and dance. Like right, I love no, it. Um, I am absolutely obsessed with that track. It hits. It, it it's 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 it was clearly like a lot of ideas that came together, like Edgar Winter's Frankenstein. That it was like a weird amalgamation okay. of yeah, a lot harmonizing of, guitar parts and stuff for sure. Yeah, it was kind of all over the place, but they put the puzzle pieces together to make it a whole and i i it it was almost to me and and correct me if you have a different opinion here it almost like uh countdown to ecstasy 
to me was almost conceived like an instrumental album and they were smart enough to be like we have to add vocals and singing this will never sell you know like just how the construction of the jazz pieces were so so different so wildly different than can't buy a thrill in 1972 um i just felt like this had to you know, because it, it wasn't, I'll pass it back to you with this statement. It wasn't the sophomore slump. I feel like they really did great with this album too. Honestly, yeah. And, and Bodhisattva is one that has stuck with me. Uh, it kept, it has kept me reeling in the ears. Um, <laughs> I, oh, nice. I, I, I had to. Yeah, you um, had to. Yeah, I, I, again, when I was doing like my, my own sort of personal, not the deepest, but like a dive into Steely Dan, like I said, about like, you know, 10, 15 years ago, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you just, you start listening to their stuff and, and this one always stuck with me. Uh, yeah. And I, I, I would honestly agree overall that they probably wrote the music first and came up with some of the lyrics and stuff later, because that's again, the, another thing about their lyrics. It's like, it's, that is where I feel like they just start to play it fast and loose with their storytelling and mm-hmm. they, they, with the vagaries and the metaphors and such. Whereas again, the music is so intentional to yeah. where it wouldn't surprise me uh, n- feeling how I felt about the music and what, with what you just said, if they didn't typically write the music first, because obviously every songwriter does it differently, right? Some people do it both at the same time, right? Like the UK, okay, I've sure. got the melody, you know, and I do this instrument, blah, blah, blah. Sometimes people will take one of their favorite poems and write music around it. And then it could have been the opposite here where they had this stuff just, again, like six albums in a row where they all crushed, like the music was flowing <laughs> out of them. So yeah, it might've just been that this was like some overflow, but they just realized, okay, let's sit on this. It's bangers. Let's come up with some lyrics because again, That's not right. the longest album in the world. Like the first one's 10 no. tracks. The second one's eight, which is, there's nothing wrong with when you're talking about I think all their albums were pretty, pretty yeah, tight. But they're concise you know? because, again, yeah. it's such good stuff. Like, again, it's all so intentional and thought out that, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, if you're talking about eight solid tracks, that's better than 16 half-assed tracks. It equals out the same. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, honorable mentions before we move on to Pretzel Logic is the Boston, Boston rag, rag. Big time. And your gold teeth is I fucking love these tracks. What are your honorable mentions for yeah same thing boston rag i i like that again they they've got their up-tempo stuff and especially with like i said the bodhisattva comes out like big band like oh, jazzy kills um but boston rag i i like that it's it's more minor key it's it's a bit slower uh not quite dronier but again it's just something it was about an that. old song too that they reworked for this album oh, was so it? that okay. it was in their vault for a long time gotcha okay yeah. that kind of makes i was gonna say like, even this, like real that might be know, why can't buy out. a thrill years like a little before that even okay i was gonna say yeah. that might be why it stood out to me and i i actually like the closer too like king of the world um mm. that one is just again it's just fun to me i i, I like i like and just for, again from start to finish it's just a fun album oh absolutely and I think uh the vocal effects on that one too yeah oh yeah the again yeah we see an evolution with their production techniques and their engineering and stuff like that we're we're seeing you can hear it in the pieces them becoming more perfectionist yeah. it's a true like, collaboration outside of just awesome songwriters and performers but there's always when you're talking actual albums there's always the guy in the behind the curtain as you will if you know the because kind of wizard of Oz reference there um producers don't often get the recognition that they deserve and who you know whoever you know had whether it was the engineer or the producer um those people involved with Steely Dan there's a reason that they went on they each are multiple Grammy winners well I um you know I've already always attested that I think the easiest way to describe what the producer is or does is compare them to a film director you yeah. know, they're kind of overseeing the whole project and making things. They might not have written sure it. They, yeah. Yeah. They, they they're not the craft, actors. Right. They, they help craft. They help mix. You know, they're they're making sure that the final product is as good as possible, even though they're not the primary songwriters. You know, just like a film, there's usually a, an original writer or a screenplay writer that makes the piece and then hands it to the director. And that's how I think of the producer. And I just like this era, you know, with... Uh, with a lot of other famous film directors at the time, we were starting to see them come to the fray, to the to the foreground of of celebrity, you know, for just being a producer or an engineer or something like that. And I, I really think Steely Dan helped push that to the forefront. Uh, and we're starting to really see that on 1974's Pretzel Logic, because this was about the time they just 
they decided to stop touring and become a studio only band so they could focus on the the craft the songwriting the production considering they already were doing album a year and they were touring it's just like good lord yeah it was the They've 70s, man. Lot. What are you going to do? That's right. So this is their, they have, on Pretzel Logic, they had their biggest hit to date, uh, I think in their whole career, which is Ricky Don't Lose That Number. And to this day, I still I, I still hum okay. that little doom. I would still doom, say it's doom, reeling in the years, honestly. Doom. Well, I, I just from. Yeah, um, I do. Just, Ricky Don't <laughs> Lose That doom, Number. Doom. It's so good. Yeah, well, uh, just from the research I did, I think, uh, in terms of where they clocked in on the billboards and things like that, I don't think it's... I don't... Okay. I'm doing it more quantitatively than qualitatively. I don't think it's their best... Yeah, I I see what you're saying. I don't think it's their personal best single, um, but I think it's just their their most well sold and that clocked in the highest on the billboards so true yeah obviously yeah the there anything that you want to call best like you said it's subjective, subjective sure yeah. but i feel like do it again is is probably the second most recognized it, it, it probably almost ties with ricky don't lose that number but again i would argue that do it again has been more pervasive throughout pop culture with again how many oh yeah soundtracks and, and reeling in the into. years like that's, that's kind of what i'm thinking of and, and reeling in to the years extent. but and which again like such different vibes and i love that again such different vibes same album starter album and everything but yeah ricky don't lose that number is iconic i feel like that's also one of the best like oh you didn't know that like i said you don't you don't know that you like steely dan until i tell you <laughs> all the songs that they've done. And then when, when I realize it's this actually one, especially them. it's like <laughs> not somebody else. Yeah. It's like, yep. Again, it's literally, this is all the same band. I'm still going through. Still yeah, the, and the album to me is solid. Like, I don't feel like where as its predecessor countdown to ecstasy was kind of the closest thing they had to a quote unquote live album, you know, like, or them trying to get a live feel. Whereas pretzel logic was the complete opposite where it was so measured and it was so production focused and for lack of a better word they would they they <laughs> they know this word well perfect it's a perfect album like a lot of their albums uh production wise yeah. um but it was it was like it, it it stayed in its lane it was very it was for lack of a better word i hate to word, use the word safe because that gives it a little bit of a negative connotation but um within their own level of standards i think it was a little safe and we started i think part of that was uh, when they decided, I mean, that's a dramatic, you know, financial change to not tour anymore. You know, nowadays you have to tour oh. to make money. Um, yeah, streaming streaming has made it so if you're not touring, like have fun. Have fun. Just I, I hope making you're making money, money somewhere else because it's not on just these albums. Right? Being fun. Enjoy your day yeah, job. Yeah, exactly. And keep it. So, you know, back then they could actually do this and still make pretty uh, some pretty you had to go buy the LPs. You had to go out to the store and buy and them. And so I feel like, you know, I we have this very fascinating trilogy of albums. So Pretzel Logic, 1974, Katie Lied, 1975, and The Royal Scam, 1976, before The Monumental Asia. I feel like they were figuring out how they wanted to perfect their own sound and the, and the ways they like to explore songwriting and song crafting. Um, and I feel like that really, like Katie Lied, is so this is 1975 just one year later they famously hated this album right because uh there's a very famous um noise reduction uh production tech technique that they utilized that they didn't feel like did the sound quality justice and for years they didn't listen to it. they publicly they, they wouldn't would not listen, listen to it to and on the back of the thing. album you can find a public apology for the sound that's how obsessed they were um but I Funny have enough, appreciation I will, before, I te- before I get back to you. I I kind of have a new appreciation for it. I really kind of like Katie Light. I, I yeah, it's it's interesting that each album does have its own vibe, but at the same time, it is also good that like if you just put on like Steely Jan and <laughs> Steely Jan, Steely Dan in general, that you could you could almost sometimes lose track of which album is. Oh which. yeah, they had a sound. Um, is their sound is so, yeah, their sound is so specific yeah. and iconic that. It's not impossible to lose track of where you are as far as their discography goes, but um, it's it's definitely still really good. And interestingly, yeah, it's funny that I, I have um, a piece of equipment 
in my gear chain that I've been using for my professional setup for vocals and uh, and audio narration and stuff by DBX, the very company that is basically they consider responsible for the massive drop in quality that they apologize. Interesting. For. Yeah. Well, I mean, so they've clearly come a long way. This might have been a giant kick in the rear to them. Like, hey, if you guys want to get serious, Steely Dan hates you. <laughs> well, it's what's crazy is, I mean, obviously, it's probably been remastered for you know, how we consume it now, which is like on Spotify and stuff. I but I so. mean, it sounds, remember, we they have different ears than literally all of us, right? They have, their level of standards are unmatched. And when I, when I would, when I re-listened to it, I was like, oh, it's fine. You know, like, why do they apologize for it? But um, I, I can kind of see, in a way, there was a little bit of a drop off uh, with the quality, but it was so like a lay person would never, ever notice. Um, and and but they were still trying to figure things out. Right. We have to still have to t still to tell the story of their career. Right. Also worth noting is that even outside of the actual hardware issue that they sort of cited as part of it. Um, this was when they lost some of the original members of the band. Uh, there was the guy, what was his name? Was Skunk? Jeff Skunk something? He went on to be in Doobie Bones. Oh, yeah. Like, they, so, I mean, this is that... Uh, yeah. Because... Because they transitioned to a studio-only band, this is when they started to rely on uh, session musicians. And a lot of these albums were made with 40-plus different musicians. And then, yeah, yeah, usually these guys, if they got kind of either fed up or they didn't want to be just a hired gun anymore. Uh, a good example is the drummer that was on Katie Lied, Jeff Beccaro, went on to make Toto, one of the greatest, you know, yeah. Acts of, of well it was it's kind of like a steely dan toto to me where it's like a lot of people don't realize how many you know famous great tracks fucking africa is from them yeah this out yeah this album alone had not not far from 20 people outside of the original core duo who never left each other so yeah that's i feel like between the hardware stuff and that of them changing their their sort of it was jeff um, skunk formula Baxter. I had to look it up. Yes, thank you. I knew. I remember yeah. the skunk part. I just remember being like, "That's awesome." I love that <laughs> nickname. Um, but uh, and again, you've got like Rick Derringer, and yeah, the, all these like um, like names. Like, there's so many names on this album. It's great, and there's no reason why you would think any less of it overall. Because again, it's it's not like it's it's somehow worse. It's not like it's a bad album. But when you've come out swinging <laughs> like you had uh, with Steely Dan, and then they changed the formula some. It's it's bound to have an impact, and unfortunately, it kind of did. And Do you it, feel again, like it's this like, is a weak entry. Is Katie Light? A lot of people think either Katie Light and definitely the Royal Scam was a weak entry from their discography. I do. I think there is a notable departure. Mm -hmm. I don't think anything's um, weak, but yeah, because another no negatively exactly. connotated still... thing. Like I, after listening to their discography over and over again for the show and really getting back into their music, I just have such an appreciation. You, you start to like it on a different level than a lot of their contemporaries because it is very much apples and oranges. Like it sounds like a lot of the other soft rock or jazz rock, but it's not. It sounds like Steely Dan. And that's where that's why. And this is a, this is a good segue to why I said some of their perfectionist isms ways was a bit of a double edged sword, because when they clearly were kind of in this this lane and what they wanted to craft and stuff like that, it started to sound you were in the pot, it started man. to sound very similar to a lot of other things in their discography to the point where I was like, you know, until it like goes off the rails, like eight, the, the literal song Asia is a perfect example of this, where it can start kind of elevator music -y. <laughs> and that's that's uh that's kind of a, a teasing them way um where it's like eh, it's okay it's very soft rock very you know cookie cutter kind of the steely dance sound and then it goes off the fucking rails where that's where my appreciation appreciation came back so that's why i feel like the perfectionist isms was confining to them where they started to write a certain yeah. way and they're like oh well if we go out of these bounds like if we try to be too jazzy it's going to sound bad and we don't want it to sound bad because we're obsessed with perfect production so then a lot of things sounded so similar oh uh, yeah honestly I, again i would agree when you've when you've been so prolific it is legitimately i think we're going like almost full circle here inevitable <laughs> uh, it's an, almost so inevitable that right. so, that something is going to begin a quote-unquote downward trend 
and it's not again it's just not even almost fair to call it that because there's nothing wrong with these songs so much as it is just that they're not like the other ones that were that wound up being mm. bigger hits that you know the, i i, I would bet that as far as the duo and the engineer and stuff goes just about as much thought and effort went into the songs but when you're also talking about having gone from a cohesive uh essentially like a, a core like even outside of the duo like i think it was like the same four or five people um again for those first three that were definitely all super mm. bangers that when you go drop the super and you still have bangers from a good album that sounds like the rest of the stuff but it just doesn't have that extra sparkle. That's, yes. And before we see that sparkle, we have to talk about the Royal Scam, 1976. Because this is where a lot of people would say that this was their lowest point before they were like, something put a fire underneath them to be like, okay, we got to make something monumental, which was Asia in 1977. And I I mean, I the Royal Scam, I don't, I don't think it deserves as much shit as it gets. I actually, I feel like it's pretty solid. I feel like that's a good word for when they're clearly in the zone. And again, this is like, we do this a lot um, with musicians is, you know, we're, uh, or acts or bands in this case, we're comparing them to everyone. And usually when um, they get, you know, a lot of criticism, it's compared to the, just the standards they made, they made within their own discography. You know, where, yeah, it's low because all the other stuff was so high. Yeah, I get that. But compared to uh, height, but compared to everything else at the time, it's still probably a lot better than what was out. So that's how I look at it. It's still just as good of listening as just about any other album. Like we haven't Um, talked about a track in a while, like the Kid Charlemagne fucking kills kiss yeah. is a, it's a fantastic opener i mean like again and i think that's it, it almost is like they set their own trap by putting out so much music that is so steely dan all so close True. together that's a good way to put that it. you know you've got all these other bands that not too far in the future tend to take more time between albums and those albums are more distinctive True. and i think that's again that's all that this is like i said if you put on like just a discography or uh you know if you're like a spotify person like myself if you put on a this is steely dan so much of it is just going to be like this is the first album second <laughs> album which means more today because for instance like one of my favorite bands the queens of the stone age they have like three to five years between most of their albums and they and they're too all were very that's also why yeah and they yeah whereas this is again it's like well this all came out within six years of each other leading up to their weirdly most notable album of asia so again it's it, it, they just kind of set their own trap by like they should have just slowed down had more b-side stuff which like you know, even again, like Radiohead too, like other major acts from more contemporary times, they took time between oh, it. Yeah. They never stopped writing and recording music. And then they got to be like, hey, check out these fun tracks from the vault. Look at these B-sides. I think that's a testament. Like, you I couldn't go agree back. more. And I think that's a testament to, I think this is a PSA for every artist. You have to take a break from your own work. You have to let it breathe. You have to, you know, go work on something else and come back to it with fresh eyes. Just call it the Steely Dan problem. <laughs> Steely Dan syndrome. not a problem, <laughs> These, yeah, these guys were just such through and through musicians that they so couldn't maybe, stop themselves. Uh, I don't know. From we could, in theory, a- analyze this discography that uh, Pretzel Logic, Katie Light, and the Royal Scam was them taking a break before they got to Asia. <laughs> so let's talk about Asia, nineteen seventy-seven. Even that would still came out yeah, one year exactly. after. So this is what. But it was a departure. It oh, yeah. stands oh, out God. very it, different. It, it's it, now. This is obviously their most famous work. There, a lot of people think it's their magnum opus. And it is and Asia. Asia spelled A-J-A. Uh, it's it's also, fun fact, it's also one of the first American LPs to be certified platinum with over one million yeah. albums sold. Because they'd already, their other stuff was still gold. I mean, like, or it, uh, maybe not by now, but still. It didn't have now, peak I mean, and blues, though. But... That is an absolute timeless classic beauty of a song. And it's only, I mean, it's, I think it's the shortest one to date, 39 minutes, 51 seconds. It only has seven tracks on it, but all of those tracks are perfection and and musical garnet um, and production uh, values and things like that. I, um, you know, what's funny is as much as this, this guy gets allotted and loved and praised and, and everything, I, 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 I still don't think it's my personal favorite. No, you know what? I was gonna say I might be that guy, 
And it, again, it's not that this is a bad album. In no way I just, am yeah, I, I ever trying to like throw shade. Than, but yeah, I, yeah, I, I'm way more a fan of honestly probably just the first one. I think Can't Buy a Thrill was just so strong of an opener, and maybe just because I have that weird personal attachment to Dirty Work. <laughs> but um, again, this is not in, in any way a bad album. In fact, like even the closer, Josie, is another one of those sleeper hits that you don't realize how many or times you've heard it. I mean, in other places. yeah, yeah, true. True. Yeah. I mean, again, like there's there's nothing wrong with these songs, but it's just another example of the Steely Dan trap where they could have taken at least a, a year between turning these all out because it literally sounds like this at least starts to sound like something different. And I think that is what made them slow down. I really think that Asia sounding so unlike some of their earlier stuff and being so different in that it's shorter. Um, something about this one in my opinion, which there might just be some article out there in an interview that proves me wrong, but this is also the one where they finally did have years between this and their next yes, album. Yes, Asian Gaucho. And this does not suffer as much of the Steely Dan problem the where Steely Dan if you heard songs from Asia, yeah, yeah Steely Dan, SDS, <laughs> um, yes. you don't hear as much of SDS in this one as you do the first like five oh, I, other I, albums. I couldn't agree more. And yeah, there, well, there is history there as much as uh, we don't want to get bogged down with the history. We'll have to talk about that art on the show, of course. Um, yeah. From Asia, 1977 to Gaucho, 1980, there was a three year gap. But part of that was that this was, they were plagued with so many, so much misfortune. Like he was, uh, Donald Fagg was being sued. Uh, his girlfriend at the time, um, passed away from i believe a drug overdose uh like there was just so many problems for them to make the album and uh there was a um even though it was the first year of the 80s you know the 80s famously has a very unique production aesthetic you know when you hear a song from the 80s you're like oh that's that's fucking too shy or you know aha or <laughs> take on me like it sounds very 80s and this album yeah. had a little bit of that infused in it i i still like gaucho i i do think it um had a little bit i like it had a, it still had sds it still had that there, there's um to me there's standouts but overall i you know i can see why i feel like this was the culmination of their um them being completely exhausted, you know, because they put out so much output, you know, one album a year, one album a year. That is, I'm for anybody that doesn't write music, that is so hard. That is so much work. And um, them after almost 10 years of, well, what would no, uh, eight years of, of music crafting and production work and getting albums out, that it makes total sense why after this, they disbanded. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's interesting. Yeah. Like you said, the, the, well, and one thing that I think we we mentioned way earlier and actually kind of forgot to mention again, they did push the envelope with with Asia. Like, as you know, they a lot of the staples are there, all the horn parts, the well-written, oh, multi-layered so songs. Yeah. But again, all the synth stuff, like so you said, uh, this starts to lead into like, at least a, a somewhat of a different feel. Well, for lack of a better word, it was like a dancey album. Like glamour profession. It was. It I was. Fucking I, I I literally went out of my way to like as soon as I heard the the intro to Glamour Profession I was like some some Daft Punk uh, you know Dead Mouse electronic musician had to yeah. have sampled this I couldn't find it anywhere so if anybody if was, anybody yeah. out there knows of a famous uh, electronic music artist that has sampled this um, tell me who it is one and if if you can't find anybody fucking I'm gonna do it. Someone needs to do. Someone needs do a sample yeah. to make like a huge fucking club rager out of it. Yeah, yeah. The, there's. I, I think also too that given, obviously not quite a full decade yet, but still like you know from seventy two to eighty, uh, you know that's a good eight years, and that even they are also seeing a change in the music scene because again they were just so bam 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 bam, you know back to back to back albums and all this stuff. Um, I think this is them even outside of the personal stuff, like, I don't know, one of the lead guys getting hit by a fucking car. <laughs> um, he literally got hit by a car. Um, that's, that's awful. And yes, yeah, so again, like, like you said, there's all kinds of shit happened between the girlfriends like OD. He got hit by a car. You know, there was legal stuff. There was just so much crazy shit while they're also going 
we need to kind of get with the times more like Asia. We did a little bit of it. And again, Asia got massive accolades. So this was them slowing down both intentionally, but and just because life was just like, hey, fuck you, Steve. It was it was a perfect Um, storm. And it makes total sense why uh, I think a lot of people at the time thought they broke up like for good. You know, but obviously, in hindsight, it's, I'm sure it seemed weird because it was uncharacteristic them taking. Yeah, that many in years hindsight, it was technically a hiatus. You know, because they did we, yeah. we the, the the story that is Steely Dan's not over yet. We have two more LPs to talk about. Yeah. They still have one of their big bangers too. I just feel like it's worth mentioning that. You know, Asia Asia is great as far as you being like a Steely Dan fan and appreciating a good album, but this goes back to having another almost radio slash like oh, like hey 19 will of hey yeah. 19 hey 19 also had that is a great commercial song. That, is a, that, a great song. that lasts exactly yeah it lasts to this day but again it just has that little bit of extra stuff where like there's some extra synths it's still very steely dan which you could confuse it for earlier albums but it's got that touch of intentional we need to update the sound just just a bit now they did um we have to talk about a little bit of the gap you know before we move on to the last two lps in their discography and talk about what they did so during their hiatus uh they still worked you know uh it would it would either be solo outings so just could not stop these yeah, guys from or just music. production work and uh this is where yeah. fagan donald fagan um uh, wrote the night the nightfly and that eventually turned into a trilogy of al- albums so the nightfly uh, how do you pronounce that? Kamakiriad? Kiriad? And more for the cat. Um, and it wasn't what's what's I, I love this part of their story because what's so ironic about them coming back together was touring. <laughs> they tu- they toured um and yeah. they first toured for Kamakiriad. Kyriad, the second LP in the Night Flight trilogy. I'll just say it that way. So they were touring in support of that. And then MCA released a box set called Citizen Steely Dan. And then Duo reunited as Steely Dan to support the box set. And they went on tour for a while. And that the juices got flown again. They were like, they were back together. They're they're that yeah. unstoppable force when they're together musically. And 20 years fucking later, they wrote two against nature 2000 and i will say this before uh, i pass it back to you i really think the hiatus was a blessing in disguise because as much as their work kind of yeah went into that lane of the 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 steely dan syndrome as we've been joking about during the show i feel like this one was finally a, a new i felt like it was a new level not only because production techniques had changed uh, literally donald fagan's voice changed over the years i actually kind of like yeah. how he sounded with yeah. his, his timber um it just it, it just was a clear we finally saw a clear evolution it took 20 years but i really really enjoyed two against nature and and the the last lp everything must go yeah i they're they're later two albums which are still at this point like technically <laughs> it is it is almost 20 years now um but yeah it um they're still very good. I mean, they they are clearly just who they are. They've clearly always been yeah. writing from straight from the heart or the soul or whatever you want to call it, however you think of these things. Uh, but their muses uh, are persistent. Mm. And yeah, they, they still sound like Steely Dan. I don't, yeah, I don't think you could break that outside of the fact that they've clearly just, yeah, they've gotten older. People change, literally, yeah, there's a physical change in the voice. And that, you know, they've obviously even gotten different, you know, better at the craft. You know, they never stopped writing and producing music. I mean, again, it's not like they just said, oh, we've had enough. You know, it's not <laughs> like they gave up on music necessarily. I think it was just, you know, the same thing. It's like, hey, we've been doing this for almost 10 years and we've put out, you know, seven albums. Um, how about we just, I th- again, this was like the follow-up reality check to it being like, oh, yeah, you know what? Um we should uh, we should kind of like check ourselves and and just like unsteely our dance for a <laughs> moment. Our and then when they got back together, it was just like writing. What and it just it came and, back out um, in the vein of calling this long break a blessing in disguise. I would argue that they were less of perfectionists, and I I would argue that within. Uh, not the production techniques, but in the performances, because they there's a um, uh, in the in the title track to Against Nature, there are some horn sections that, you know, I think upon first listen, they just sound a little like they go a little flat. But I think they're just playing with a lot of the music theory. And um, but but the point is, is it created tension finally, like it's it's 
you know, it's, it didn't sound perfect is the point. And that was so refreshing to me because I, I'm one of those musicians that I always try to, as much as I love polished music and polished production and song crafting and all that stuff. And I definitely try to do that when I, when I make my own stuff. Um, I, I always go back to the, to the, the fact that music was never really meant to be perfect. It's, it's a, it's a mirror of our humanity and humans are not perfect creatures and it's okay to be a little imperfect sometimes. And I felt that too against nature showed a little bit of that. They were, it was okay to experiment and play with performances that weren't perfect. And I really felt that, that that was refreshing. Yeah. Art itself is very subjective and what some people might call perfect. Others would hear it and call up tight. You know, um, people, people are just never going to, there's no such thing as truly perfect when you're talking about art. And I think some of it too was, was them even outside of their own performances and songwriting, it sounds like they really sat back and embraced that. Like, okay, yeah, like we, we are jazzy. I love jazz. And that they went with the quote unquote imperfection that jazz can oh, embody. That I think, you know, a lot of that earlier jazz of just, of abstract kind of go chaos. The instrument. Yeah, exactly. It's, just, it's okay to hit an off note because all that off note does is then emphasize the rest of the notes in their, you know, where, the, where they land in, in their like scalar nature. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah, the, like the different types of tones that they hit, uh, the, again, like the types of scales, they, they embraced a whole different side of, of maybe who they felt they could have been, which I think also was them being like, shouldn't we have ever done this? Or like, don't you ever wish we had done that? And I'd, I'd like to think it was just like, well, why don't we? Again, like we're still yeah, young and enough. 20 years later, they won Grammy of the year that year against Kid yeah. A and the Marshall Mathers LP. I mean, again, like two albums I like, absolutely adore. A whole different yeah, generation. I adore those two albums and they still beat them. To even think of those as contemporaries just blows my mind too, listening to this because it's it's inherently Steely Dan, but it 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 stands out from their early. Yeah. And they body. continue to tour in support of it. And that led them to make an, uh, essentially a kind of almost like a sequel to, to against nature, which is everything must go in 2003, which is very fitting of a title. Cause I'm pretty sure this is going to be the last LP they ever write together since our poor well, Mr. Becker really passed away in 2017. Yeah. They, they unfortunately can never write anything together again. Um, there's, Dan left. I think they still, I think for commercial purposes and whoever's, you know, running the show from the business side, they'll probably still tour as Steely Dan, you know, with Donald Fagan. You know, it'll be like, just like Jeff Lynn still tours as ELO. I mean, yeah, it's like you've got the draw because again, these days touring is exactly. And, um, and that's essentially where the rest of their, uh, career went as Steely Dan after 2003 was they continued to tour in support of, of their legacy of music, of, of this incredible catalog of music yeah. that they wrote their body of work was was yeah un it was already definitive and, and they didn't need to do more they could go crank out live versions of the hits for all the people that loved them for who they were and Any that was standouts enough. with two against nature and everything must go i really loved um the actual title track as i already said two against nature and god whacker oh my god what a great song god whacker was neat from everything must go and then also uh from two against nature i remember liking janie runaway there was kind of like you said like it was almost like the whole thing was like weirdly flatted or like it like it took what you expected and like put it down one note here and there um there was you know there's something about the way they just like altered your expectations or again like oh there's a new steely dan album and because all the rest of it was so specifically steely dan from those first eight years seven albums that this was just like yeah we're gonna give you what you want but it's not we're gonna put a spin on it and i think this this goes back to my sub thesis of these guys were geniuses with music theory like they they thought about it in a different way that i don't think any of us can really comprehend you know to be in their minds just like you think of how someone like albert einstein could think of the the uh the theory of relativity. These guys were thinking, <laughs> were figuring out theories of um, musical uh, Western harmonies that just hadn't been invented yet, and they and they did it, and and just to an incredible effect and legacy. Well, and actually, and one one quick little side tangent too is that their sound is often attributed to being one of the top yacht rocks uh, of that genre. And again, I, I totally agree with the way they are. They're so fucking smooth and sensual and like it's so specific. Um, they always sound like Steely Dan. But again, the way that they've been so like subtle throughout music. Well, like to go back to yeah. my point, 
not everyone understands how much they actually like or might appreciate Steely Dan. And so you point out, hey, what if I list these eight amazing tracks? There's no way you don't know at least one of them that, yeah, I mean, they, they are so legitimately iconic that they helped accidentally go on to form what is now known as Yacht Rock. And I mean, <laughs> and there's literally bands like even in my city, for instance, there's one called just Yacht Rock Review. And it's it, it, it's, it was really fun. Uh, you know, I didn't exactly know what I was getting into because I, you know, didn't realize it was mostly a cover band. Huh. But yeah, they did. They did so damn good that people just want to hear what is quintessentially Steely Dan and that unfortunately it, it was sort of during the pandemic and I just think you know I, I happen to have a child in this year of 2021 or sorry of, of that year 2021 but um yeah that after um you know the the passing uh, of um of Walter Donald continues to tour they just the, an album from a 2021 tour was released just last year and again like what else are you gonna do man like that's your big claim to fame he deserves you know every bit of credit for everything that he put into it. And, you know, if anything, it's it's like, what what else can you do but honor your your lost friend's memory and just continue to give all the fans what they want and, and you know, just and crank out these Have awesome you ever seen Steely Dan live? I've never no, seen Steely Dan. I've seen them last year because I was yeah. so busy, you know, again, like. <laughs> I uh, wish I could. I hope, and I hope he does kid. one last tour I, or two. I, I know I wouldn't have seen them last year, but goodness gracious, I really, because I don't see much else before, like, it literally went from like 2003's studio album to like probably the occasional tour and then and a release of music from a tour in, in just last year, 2021. But yeah, I would love to go. I mean, I saw Jeff Lynn's ELO, for instance, where there's talk about legal stuff and a breaking up of bands and all this stuff. Um, I got to see him, though, like back in, I think it was 2019, I think. And it's because it's like, I don't know when I'll get that chance. And I would absolutely love that chance for Steely Dan. I, I Again, I love them. They're so great. Peg them as like, a oh, that's one of the fan that Philip really <laughs> likes. Yeah, I fucking love Steely I Dan. I would love that. Like, you can't argue that with me. I love that chance, too. And you're already going down this road. So let's just get to our destination. So bring us on home, Philip. Why study the works of Steely Dan? They are headphone slash vinyl owners albums. Mm. They are well-written they are the i mean just even musically they are so well written and cohesive across numerous instruments not just your typical quartet of you know guitar bass drums and vocals uh they go beyond that from the get-go with your your keys your organ your your horns uh and your backing vocals and all these things they've been so rich from the get-go but there's also the re-listenability of their lyrics, of their actual word content that will keep you coming back to go, yeah, you're right. I always listened to, you know, this, this smooth textured music. I forgot to pay attention to this. And once you start paying attention to the lyrics, it's a whole new ball game. It's, it's just something else. And, and then you're just like, well, shit, I got to go back to Camp Buy a Thrill. <laughs> and you just find yourself cycling through it over and over again because... Again, they're, they're so good and their sound is so unique and specific that you will get lost and go, wait, shit, what album am I on? And you realize you're four albums deep. I'm going to guess that your favorite is Can't Buy a Thrill then. It really is. It really is. Yes. It's 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 so good. Mine is Countdown to Ecstasy. I think that is, I Fair love enough. Countdown to Ecstasy. I think that's brilliant. It's a close second for me too. I love it. Um, yeah, I mean, again, it's just, it, everything is so good, but something about those those opening, that opening salvo of those first few albums is just their unargue. I, I just feel it's so hard to argue that they they ever got, they started so high. Again, they set the bar mm. so high. It's not that they ever got worse. It's just that we expect such high stuff that nothing but excellence. It almost like you're like, okay, well, can do something besides this specific excellence. <laughs> They got There's into a comfort any of their zone or an autopilot, however you want to yeah. look at it, for sure. Well, there you have it, folks. Uh, the legacy, the history, the career that is Steely Dan from top to bottom. I want to thank you for listening. I, of course, I want to thank my guest for helping me hash it out, Mr. Phil of Church, my, my steely voice. Before we go, you know we have a little more extra for you, a little icing on the cake, a little cherry on top with what we call the gem of the week. If you're new to the show and Pop don't it. know what the gem of the week is, it's something we like to talk about here at the end of our shows that doesn't fit into the scheme of the main episode episode but it, it, it may be on our ra radar in the last day or so week or so or maybe even month we, we want to give it to you guys so you guys can dig deeper um mine is very my first one is very connected to steely dan and that is through a 2016 documentary film 
um, called Hired Gun, where it highlights all of these session musicians over the years that worked with all of these great acts and didn't get enough recognition, and they got a whole documentary dedicated to them. I saw it on Netflix. I'm not sure if it's on Netflix anymore, but you can see all of these guys now in interviews, and of Steely Dan comes up a lot. Oh my God. I think you'll really enjoy it. So check that out. It's called Hired Gun. A a gym that me and Mr. Church talked about before the show that will be uh, me passing the baton over to him. Something we can we can agree on is we both saw the film Barbarian, which is a um the the trailers Oof. would make you think it's it's a complete horror uh film, but it's actually a bit of a comedy horror film. And it's it's like in the vein of Sam. I- Sam Raimi. Oh, yeah, I had so much fun. Like the fucking tape measure. Like, come on. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. No, that realtor, that LA, like, or sorry, not LA, but like somebody from LA who's just obsessed with real estate, um, looking for every fucking penny is such a weird niche thing to throw into a movie like this. And oh it man. Hits. And it's gonna, it's gonna subvert your expectations. So even if you do see a trailer or two, there's no point. Yeah. We're not going to tell you yeah, shit about we, it because there's no I, point. I, I think I, uh, on behalf of both of us, I'll just say go into it blind. Go into it blind. You'll have so much fun. Me and my wife actually saw it in the theaters blind. We didn't, I think we saw one trailer. We didn't really know what to expect. The trailer made it into something else I'd seen recently. But yeah, I just saw friends being like, holy shit, go see this. And I just, these are friends that I trust and I regret nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of, it's that kind of fun we haven't had in the at the, at the theaters in so long. You know, like it, it, it reminded me why I used to go to see movies all the time, like every weekend. You know, it was that kind of movie. It is very much a yeah, theater movie. we can't movie. recommend it enough you'll have a blast and with that being said mr church what's your other gems have such a love and soft spot for the 1993 album god shuffled his feet by the crash test dummies oh god what is that everyone it's just like mm, it's it's literally mm, because that's oh god Jesus but, Christ. Yeah, that's the one that made it big with You're the, right. Uh, I didn't I wouldn't uh we talked about this in our pre-show and he says I'm going to hold it until we do we go live uh, as a surprise. I would have never in a million years saw that coming. My god. I I, I forget. I think it was literally like a friend in high school <laughs> so recommended funny. it to me cuz they had an appreciation for it and uh cuz even even by the time I was in high school that album was like kind of old news. I can but, I um, can see yeah, the video it, it, in my mind one, right now. I know, right. Yeah, and so it has its biggest like it's very 90s. From yeah, from from dumb and dumber there was the scene where the, the, the two main characters um ha- have had their like fight they've broken up and they're so sad and so like the saddest song on the album which is not indicative of the rest of it mm. at all but mm-mm. but yeah it's 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 very silly and yet it's one of those things that like it embraces itself for like being silly in that like it still takes itself seriously everywhere else the guy's voice is very unique i grew to love it i like how existential the song is the guy's talking about like shit i need to go get x-rays <laughs> like with my health like what did cavemen do just all kinds of wild shit it's just all over the map like one of the songs is called how does a duck know you know like <laughs> all the other duck how, how can a duck oh, tell his funny. his duck wife from all the other ducks it's just fun it's just a good damn listen just don't again it's just like a put put it on chore to it get your vacuuming and your dishes done and just have some fun just goofing uh it's goofy but it's it's there, good it's good go, guys crash test crash test dummies excellent gyms and our gyms are brought to you today by zencaster 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 is our go-to tool for remote podcast recordings. What's great is that you can record separate audio and video tracks, and it's all backed up on a secured cloud, so you never lose your hard work. Even better, it's easy to use, and there's nothing to download. So go to zen.ai, that's z-e-n.ai slash art of the beholder, or just use promo code art of the beholder and get 30% off your first three months with the pro account. And if if you like that, of course, you can follow us at all of our socials. Novo Day Productions is where you'll find the entropy sessions adulteration post meridium cancel culture lotto of course more ads for this wonderful show that you're listening to maybe you can check out some of our other episodes and don't forget to like and subscribe and follow in all the things you know what to do if you want to sponsor our little love child here you can do so at nobodaymedia at gmail.com mr church tell the good people if they want to get a hold of you how do they do so if you like audiobooks 
You can check out my work at philipchurch.tech, as in .technology, and that is Philip with one L. Uh, mostly fiction. Uh, I love a good sci-fi, but I've got a hint of nonfiction in there, uh, and I've always loved voiceover and gaming, so I do have uh, other sort of demo work in there, and uh, I've got some new books coming out very soon. I've actually had, it wound up being a decent year, you know, you just, you never quite know what's going to happen, so I've um, got a couple new books coming out. I got had a demo done for commercial-type work a couple months ago. And uh, yeah, just really enjoying it. I actually had a really fun moment of in the wild where a friend of a friend reached out and going, hey, is this you? And funny enough, it was one that um, Audible decided to spell with two L's for me. But still, God the fact that they it, even Audible. caught that and said, <laughs> I know, the fact that they even noticed that and they were like, I know you spell it with one, but like how many Philip Church audiobook narrators are out there? So it was just a really fun, it was a really fun moment just the other day. And it just reminded me all the more of just like, yeah, you know, I'm in here uh, just, you know, doing doing one of the things I love, which is telling stories and uh just sharing art with people. So yeah, philipchurch.tech um, for more of my work and for just random blog stuff of mine. And to hire you if they want to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If, if you if you like what you've been hearing here, uh, but you want it more to some of your own words and something else, um, I, I love a good character voice and uh, being a creative guy. So yeah, uh, you can find out stuff, uh, how to contact me at philipchurch.tech. Check it out. And until next time, you know what to do. Be good to each other. And as always, good luck and Godspeed. We love you. Art of the Beholder is brought to you by Novo Day Productions. Created and hosted by Novo Day and the Novo Day Collective. Facebook.com slash Novo Day Media, at Novo Day Media on Twitter and Instagram. Music by A Company. Facebook.com slash Aco Music 123. Aco on Spotify. Logo designed by Tom Justice, J E S T U S, of thejusticecompany.com. And executively produced by Clayton Anderson. All rights reserved. You can't see, but I just curtsied.